This is Pixelated Audio, episode 79, and today we're listening to the music from Arumano no Kiseki on the Famicom Disk System. Hello everyone, and welcome to Pixelated Audio, a bi-weekly video game music and retro gaming podcast. I'm James, and this is Brian, your host, and we've got a great little soundtrack to share with you guys today. Yeah, it's a short one, but a good one. Yeah, I'm excited. So uh, today we're going to be listening to the music from a Famicom Disk System title that's pretty well regarded for its soundtrack called Arumana no Kiseki, which means the miracle of Armana, or Almana, however you want to romanize it. That track that we started the show with was the opening cutscene. It's very short, but yeah. uh, sweet. Yeah, it's short and sweet. Got a little bit of a mysterious, eerie vibe to it that I think sets the tone of the game. little sorrow in there, a little yeah. despair. Yeah, no, I think the soundtrack is excellent. So uh, it's very, very short soundtrack. Uh, so we were kind of waiting to uh, play this the soundtrack, do an episode on it when we... You know, we're in more of a crunch time. We're still right. really busy in life, so want to do something that's a little lighter, a little quicker, and uh, but we still have a ton of great information. Oh, and yeah. So even though it's a shorter episode, it's going to be jam-packed with a lot of great info. Yeah, it's super jam-packed with awesome sounds. This is a really good short soundtrack. Yeah. So, Arumana no Kiseki was released on August 11th in 1987 for the Famicom Disk System, developed and published by Konami. Now, we've talked a bunch about Konami, and we even did some Famicom Disk System games by them with Aisenshi Nicole and Falcian, so it's probably overkill to talk about them more in this episode, but what we will say is that Konami was a huge supporter of the Famicom Disk System, with many of their titles getting disc release like Castlevania 1 and 2, Russian Attack, Esper Dreams, Jackal, Blades of Steel, and a whole bunch more. Yeah, I think they were the most active third-party publisher for the system. Yep, they were only second to Nintendo. Yeah, it's crazy because Akumajo Dracula was released in 86, um, Castlevania, for the disc system. So that was their first title on the system. And then Arumano no Kiseki was their 10th release a year later. Well, not even a year. It was like 10 or 11 months. Yeah. So that's pretty much a game a month averaging for the disc system, which was not even a huge system. Yeah. I mean, you had to buy the Famicom. Then you had to buy the disc system. And, you know, simultaneously, they were putting out Famicom only titles. Too, right. And other platforms, MSX, you know, all over the place. Mm-hmm. So, like, what was their development department look like? I mean, like. How many people did they have working on titles? Like it was a one guy just right. doing one game. And well, I, I mean, a lot of the titles that we did list were like big titles for the right. NES Famicom. So maybe it wasn't that much work to port it over, use some little extra sound stuff. And but yeah. uh, still, it was exciting to see the disc system get so much by Konami. Like you know, like I mentioned, this is our third disc system episode, and they've it, all been right. Konami so right. far. Right, right, and. You know, in the U.S., we were really kind of barred on how many releases we got from, right. from the publisher because uh, they had to create the Ultra games, and you know they were they were trying to like kind of circumvent Nintendo's, uh, I guess, blockage right. or overkill on on releases. Um, but the good thing is Japan didn't get that release, right. so Konami could do whatever they wanted, yeah, as just, many as they wanted, and just pumping stuff out. So, uh, anyways, let's get into our first track of the day. Uh, this is from stages one, four, and six, composed by Kinoyo Yamashita and uh, possibly Koji Murata.
All right, you just heard stage one, four, and six, composed by Kinyo Yamashita for Arumana no Kaseki on the Famicom Disk System. This is a this is an incredible track. It's super incredible, yeah. actually. In fact, this is maybe the most well-known, uh, well-loved track in the game. Oh, yeah. it's. I mean, it's just got everything there. Everything classically you would love. I mean, it's got a really Castlevania vibe to it. Very definitely, Castlevania. Uh, definitely a Yamashita track. I think there's yeah. no question. Yeah, I'm not much of a betting man, but I think I would bet on that. Yeah, and uh, so many different instruments as well. I love that. Uh, that kind of trumpet in the beginning there, you know, I think it's so pretty. And then um, she reuses that uh, that kind of tone again for like um, kind of almost like a like an accent, like an echo, uh, kind of coming back in. It's got like a almost like a I want to say like a Southern American kind of flair to it. Okay, you know what I mean. Uh, so. Yeah, no, I, I love this track. That was excellent. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it like you said, it has a, a very Castlevania feel. It's very heroic and galloping. Uh, it has some some great play back and forth, and I love how like the mid range will play a series of notes, and then the higher range will do it again. So there's kind of like this like back and forth, like I can do what you can do type thing, and uh, it was just such a great track. It it was like you said, just very classic you know nes you know sounding like <laughs> right. great music like a lot of the music that uh people really fell in love with from the systems you know the early nintendos mm, right and um it's just a, a great example a good way to start off this game maybe that's a good way to kind of compare it so or explain it is kind of castlevania meets like a like a mariachi kind of thing with yeah the, the trumpety feeling yeah and, and i think uh, when we get into the game that will That'll make a little bit more sense, right. I guess. Yeah, so Kinuyo Yamashita is so well-known. I almost feel like we don't need to say anything about her, but her work is simply incredible and probably one of the contributing reasons why VGM is so important to people like us today, I think. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, one of the top-notch of top-notch composers is right. pretty insane. So she was originally from Hyogo, Japan. She graduated college and got hired pretty quickly into Konami's sound team, where she knocked it out of the park with titles like Castlevania and Castlevania II. But then there was also King Kong 2, Ikari no Megaton Punch, Esper Dream 1 and 2 for the NES. Then there was Nightmare 2, The Maze of Gallius, and Shalom, the third title in the Nightmare series for the MSX, which we did an entire episode spotlight on the series. Was that like episode 20-something? Uh, it was early. It was early. It, yeah. Here's back, but the excellent, excellent yeah. episode because we had so many great tunes from uh, that series. Yeah. If you don't love the MSX after listening to that episode, I don't know if you're going to love it. <laughs> <laughs> but then there was also Gradius 2 and Parodius for the MSX. Yeah. And then... In 1989, she left Konami to become a freelance composer, apparently because the work hours sucked. I can see that. Yeah, traditional Japanese company, not surprising. But as a freelancer, she was involved in a lot of other titles like Power Blade 1 and 2, Mega Man The Wily Wars, quite a few titles with Ikumizutani and Hiroyuki Iwatsuki, who we had on our last episode right. uh, for Mitsumega Toru. And then she's also quite well known for the Metabot series. But the music in the game is pretty well regarded in the game audio scene. Right. Like people like us really like this, the soundtrack, but I think a lot of uh, people, including us kind of forget that the music wasn't only done by Yamashita, but it was also Koji Murata. Yeah. And Koji Murata is a former composer that also did a lot of engineering and sound driver work during his career. He previously worked for Konami, Tosei and Minakuchi engineering. But then I guess more recently, he's acting as the director or CEO of a company called Bitgroove, which I guess focuses more on iOS games. Yeah. They do like iOS versions of like, uh, 
like different. I think Final Fantasy. They did some kind of Final Fantasy game or a few. That's different. cool. So they still have their connections to the past. Yeah, I went, I went to their website and they're like, oh, you know, we have, you know, we're a great team that does all these amazing ports, and we have like skilled engineers from back in the old days. So they're really kind of putting uh, Murata's name on that on the cover there. Yeah, you know, saying playing like, hey, up their 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 legacy. Their legacy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but on the composing side of things, he's worked on games like Top Gun, the NES port of Qbert, and Skate or Die, which was a big favorite of mine as a oh, kid. Oh, me too. There was also Dragon Scroll, Bio Miracle, Bakute Upa, Gombare Goemon 2, Bionic Commando for the Game Boy, and the Mega Man Game Boy titles. Yeah, but here's the thing. So he composed several songs for this game originally, but only one of those songs was used, and none of the others made it into the score. Aww. The thing is, it's not clear which one was used right <laughs> so i mean i guess our goal today is to kind of determine which is the Murata track yeah and then i guess when we have either of them on the show we can find out and confirm it did yeah. you do this track did they do this track and we'll see yeah so we're gonna just call it here that first track was definitely yamashita so, yeah uh no question there but let's get into our next track this is the boss theme uh the boss theme one actually composed by kino yamashita or possibly koji murata Okay, you just heard the first boss theme, which I feel is very much a Kino Yamashita track. I think you're very much right there. I mean, this is her style. Yeah. It definitely is. I, I like this. I mean, it's short. It's like 30 seconds, and it still even repeats in there. Yeah. Uh, but it's fun. Um, you know, we had to have it in the show because we don't really have a whole lot of other tracks. So, Well, I mean, it's a great 30 seconds. There's a lot of notes in there. There's a lot of cool scales. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it. we were talking, you know, offline that it has still kind of like that gothic baroque feel that castlevania is known for even right. though this game is different it's obviously not castlevania but um it's you know fast-paced lots of, of stuff going on it's intense which i think makes a great boss track and um you know to me that really feels like her work yeah it's very um chaotic uh very fast moving mm -hmm. um a little bit intense and disturbing but yeah, it's just a it's a it's a fun track and this like these bosses aren't very long anyway. I think right. you can cheese a lot of them into, you know, like quick kills and stuff. So I I you probably only hear thirty seconds of the track anyway. Right. Um but we've talked about the, the sound chip before the for the Famicom disk system attachment, right. the Rico two C three three chip. Um we really dove into it on our episode featuring I Senshi Nicole and then obviously the Falcium. Uh, this kind of recap on it. Yeah, it's been quite a while since that Falcine episode. Yeah, so the disc system attachment in terms of audio is that it complements the existing five channels of the NES sound system by adding a single 64 6-bit wavetable channel using the modulation table set up by the CPU. It's a programmable waveform, like a higher quality version of that triangle channel on the Game Boy. Yeah, I love Game Boy music, but this has a little bit more of a natural sound. Yeah, it's a lot more like analog sound to it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, more than the Game Boys anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, comparing it to Channel 3 on the Game Boy probably isn't the best example because the disk system has both a higher sample resolution and a wider waveform buffer. Uh, just out of curiosity, what was the Game Boys? Oh, um, I think it was like 16 4-bit sample. Oh, okay. That sounds about right. Yeah, something like that. But you also have to consider like the volume control and an envelope generator. And with those vibratos, 
um, I'm sure that adds kind of a lot to the way we're perceiving the sound. Yeah, I think it gives it much more of an organic sound to it. Like an organic feeling, yeah. yeah. Um, you can kind of make it sound like whatever you want, which is awesome because it's basically the same as any of the channels on the TurboGrafx-16 or PC Engine. Yeah, I mean, there's so much variety and just a ton of different instruments. That's why the PC Engine has such great audio because, you know, yep. if, the, if the composers... Uh, created really good sounds with their you know with each of the channels you can make some incredible tunes with it mm -hmm. um or you can get some really crappy stuff because they just didn't put the time <laughs> or care into it right yeah um there's a lot of variety in the instruments so like that first track stage one um four and six uh, there's like five or something i counted right if you want to solo those out real quick just on the disc system we can oh do yeah want to listen to that yeah i'm never gonna say no to soloing things out uh, i think you can hear them pretty clear so let's listen to that real quick so that's like the first one mm -hmm. that's a different instrument yeah i this, love that part this is this is a different instrument yeah And that's a totally different instrument too. Yeah, that's so cool though. Yeah, that's just like a pulse. So good. Going back to that that first uh, that first note there. That first instrument. Well, let's slow it down a little bit. God, that vibrato is so good. Yeah. No, it's you can really imagine like someone playing this on like a violin and like, you know, bending the strings and putting a lot of emphasis and like um, you know, passion into it. It's well, so cool. For me, it just sounds like like a trumpet, like a like with like almost like a like a mute on it. Oh, like, okay, yeah. wah, 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 you know, it just sounds really awesome there. It's like a it's like a really smooth sine wave. Mm -hmm. So it just sounds everything really well connected. And that's, you know, going back to the soundship, you got the 64 step six bit wavetable channel. Mm -hmm. And so you can have a lot more of a natural kind of sine curve than you could with anything else, you know? Yeah. So, and even slowed down and just soloed out. That was so beautiful. Yeah. So anyways, yeah, six channels, a wavetable channel for the Famicom disc system, two pulse waves, a triangle channel and the noise channel. And uh, that DMC channel. Oh, yeah. But this soundtrack doesn't use the DMC at all, right? No. Um, not a lot of disc system games use DMC. I'm guessing that's because it just takes up too much memory. Yeah, that's probably a good guess. Actually. Yeah, there's only 32K of RAM for the game data. So, um, I, you know, it's funny because I was actually just looking this up the other day because uh, I was curious, too. I was like, mm -hmm. how come they don't use any DMC for this? And this is very early, too. We didn't see it really kind of in popular use until later on. Anyway. Right. But um, I did find a few. So there was Katobi Doji, uh, Risa no Yosei Densetsu, and Night Move. Um, those are all Famicom Disk System titles that use that. Um, some are very, very minimal. It's just like a, right. like a click or something like that. But then Night Move actually has a little bit more of like a bass kind of thing. Uh, if you guys are interested, go check out that soundtrack. Oh, yeah. So that's the Famicom Disk System attachment we've talked about it before if you want to go back and listen to our past episodes we got into a little bit more detail you can yeah. do that as well well and i sent you nicole and falcian were two incredible soundtracks so oh, yeah. you're going to hear some really good music anyway yeah but let's move back into this soundtrack what do we have up next next up we have stage two which also plays during stage three and we'll be right back
All right, that was from stages two and three, composed by Kinoyo Yamashita. I'm thinking it's her again. I'm not. For me, I'm not quite as sure. Really? I, I'm still getting that vibe. Uh, for me, I think this track felt a little different, and it gave me a little bit of like a Mega Man ending cutscene type sound, like uh, a little less okay. broke gothic feeling. Uh, it was slower paced. Maybe that threw me off. Um, really like melancholy and kind of very emotional there was i felt like yeah. there was a very heavy emotional feel to this song which maybe that also is throwing me off i really like the vibrato in this again i think oh, this yeah. whole soundtrack really makes strong use of that so that's why it's a little bit hard for me to determine which yeah. is the marauder track uh but the famicom disc system attachment the instruments used uh, again a little bit varied from that first track mm -hmm. that we heard it's a little bit less trumpety sounding a little mm -hmm. bit more like a violin this time around yeah it's pretty cool quality and i love the uh like the the kind of like uh percussion in the background there's like the t -t 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 like it yeah. just kind of kept going out mm -hmm. throughout the entire track it was really nice i think it kind of gave it a little bit of that uh southern latin feel that you were kind of talking about earlier to, to kind of keep everything together right uh, which was uh, which was really nice it this felt like a very well put together track that uh, could be something that uh, this soundtrack could be something that someone outside of games could be like, wow, I actually really appreciate game music a little bit more now. Yeah, and it doesn't have uh, the same kind of gallopy feeling either right. as the first track. A lot, a lot different. And this yeah. Is, you know, between levels you play, you know, you hear that first track and then you hear it again, fourth and sixth, and this one's kind of like in the middle of there. So uh, it changes yeah. up the pace a little bit. It doesn't have that same kind of like pushing forward kind of feel. Yeah, that like heroic, like you almost feel kind of like a little defeated. Yeah, and I think this area, you go into like this cavern area, this Temple mm -hmm. of Doom area, and, <laughs> and uh, so it kind of has that, that feeling to it, I guess, to me. Yeah, a little more oppressive sound. Yeah, so let's talk about this game a little bit. Uh, story, Yeah. what, what do you got? There's not a ton of this story, and uh, it may sound a little familiar as I go through it. I, but I only know what I see in the cutscene, so uh, yeah. enlighten me. Because well, it, as soon as that first cutscene came up, it gave me a Temple of Doom feel, uh, yes. which was very prominent. Uh, the, the story of this game takes place in an unnamed village where a magic red jewel called the Aramana is stolen. And when it's stolen, the entire village turns to stone. And as the hero, it's your job to hunt down the thief and save the village. Which yeah. I don't know if anyone that that's sounding familiar to anyone <laughs> yeah. to, from anything else. but uh, Right. So in this game, you do play as Indiana Jones. <laughs> No. I could see how so many people would be confused by the box art, by the look of the sprites, by Everything. the story. Um, but you don't actually play as Indiana Jones. You play as a guy named Kaito. And, Kaito uh, Jones. Yeah, Kaito Jones. His he looks, Asian cousin. Yeah, <laughs> he looks very much like a young Indiana Jones. And, you know, with that story, even feels a little too closely related. Yeah, even the spot where the jewel is housed in the village looks exactly like the Temple of Doom. Yeah. In the movie. It's like spot on yeah it's like kind of like a half broken wall that has like a little spot for the jewel to sit in uh, and we were kind of talking about how you know maybe like journey to Silius, this was maybe originally intended to be an indiana jones game and the last minute they yeah. had to yank it out and they were like i oh, would have the license for it yeah or just indiana jones was so popular that they're like we got to do something like this yeah which you we know, saw a lot of games do yeah like all the ninja turtle clones and all mm -hmm. you know all that kind of stuff so uh makes sense I guess. Yeah. So the search for the thief and the Aramano jewel takes you through six levels. Like we said, the game itself feels very much like Temple of Doom. So a lot of the levels feel very reminiscent of things you might expect a, you know, Famicom disc system version of, <laughs> right. of Indiana Jones would be like. 
And you might be expecting to start the game with the whip after seeing all this stuff, but you'd actually be wrong. You start the game with throwing knives as your weapon, but you get a whole bunch of different weapons throughout the levels like bombs, handguns, bolas, mines, spike balls, and even this crystal ball type jewel thing that kills everything on the screen. Yeah, and we should mention that you can also switch between those weapons like mm-hmm. at any time. Just kind of cycle through them with select or something like yeah, that. Yeah, which is kind of nice. And you do get a lot of them really quickly, so it gives you a little bit of variety in I, the gameplay. I think you get all of the weapons or sub weapons or whatever in the first level yeah like, i mean they throw them all at you right away yeah so yeah and besides the weapons there's some other cool things in this game so other than the normal platforming movements like jumping and, and walking stuff like that you get this cool grappling hook whip <laughs> yeah it's very whip like um but you use it to get to higher locations uh, they did make it a little bit funky though by not allowing you to do any other direction than like a 45 degree angle so you can't throw it straight up and climb up or off to the side. You have to throw mm-hmm. it at an angle and um, then you can climb up to the rope to get to higher locations. But right. it's one of those things where it's really easy to do. It's just up and B at the same time. But it's one of those things that's very difficult to master and they force right. you to get good at it really quickly. Yeah. One reason this game takes some time to get the hang of is the lack of physics. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty it, noticeable. Yeah. It makes it feel really unnatural. You know what? It reminds me like when you're using the grappling hook, you know, in the Castlevania, for example, like when you're walking upstairs. Yeah. My least favorite thing to do in those games. Yeah. Like when you're walking upstairs, you're locked. Your feet are like glued to the steps. Mm -hmm. You can use your whip, sure, but like you have to make it, you have to traverse from point A to point B or back down to point A. You know, there's no like jumping off. So this feels like a lot like that when you're on the uh, grappling hook. When you start climbing, you either have to go to the top or you have to like come back down. Right. Which sucks because, you know, like an enemy might. You know, a spear might shoot out at you like when you're like midway through and you can't really you can't really avoid it. Yeah. Or an enemy might just uh, like randomly pop up and you don't get enough time. Your character doesn't move fast enough to avoid anything like that. So for me, that was really frustrating. Yeah. And this game definitely doesn't give you a lot of notice when enemies are coming. There's like a lot of doors all over the levels and enemies just pop out of it. And then there's things like fire that shoots from the ceiling where there's no indication that fire can even come out of the ceiling there. Right. So if you actually have to learn the game and go slow at first, and then once you get better at it, you'll know, okay, fire is going to come out of there. There's going to be guys that pop out of here. This is what the snakes are going to do. Right. Uh, there is a variety of enemies, which is kind of nice, um, yeah. but they all act really dumb. Yeah, uh, the that AI was, is bad. Yeah, they just walk right by you or jump mm-hmm. right over you, and then it's like they don't even know you're there. Yeah, they just kind of move from one platform to the next, and it's just like you just shoot them and you know end of story yeah but going back to the whip slash grappling hook is that it feels very much like uh the arcade game rock and rope if you've ever played it which is a previous konami title Mm -hmm. so i think that uh they saw that mechanic and decided well let's give this another shot which i really really wanted to love this grappling hook you know what i'm not saying it's horrible there's some things i do like about it it's very very frustrating especially when you're just learning how to use it Mm -hmm. but then uh after you play it for a while you kind of learn the quirks and like the the shortcomings of it and right. you have to use that to your advantage yeah but to, to kind of describe this game for anyone that's curious it kind of reminds me of something like castlevania meets bionic commando uh, yeah. meets indiana jones so yeah. <laughs> it's uh it it's very interesting but it also with the really poor ai and stuff like that it reminds me of a really beautiful atari game or something like that yeah like, like the, where the programming's just... really low but it's really beautiful looking right you know I was streaming this game a few months ago. Mm-hmm. Now, I hadn't played the game in like probably since high school through an emulator. And so yeah. uh, I was streaming it and I got up to this one section and this is how frustrating 
the game can be. Yeah, I got there today. Yeah. And it yeah. was took me like 30 minutes or something like yeah, that. Yep. And so I was uh, at this waterfall and you have to like grapple up to this one platform from like this floating, uh, like levitating platform. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting there like trying to figure it out on the stream. I think you have to like quickly jump and like grapple. Dude, it was not designed well yeah. at all. Like, well, the, and once you know what you need to do, it's still nearly impossible to do it. it like it takes a lot to get good at it. Yeah. So like their playtesting team, like I want to slap them in the face and be like, you guys didn't catch this. Like, yeah, this seems like an obvious flaw because it's first level, not too far into it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like you said, you're not really used to the grappling hook yet. And they force you to do something that's feels very, nearly perfect. Very, very challenging. So yeah. they probably got it once and we're like, OK, cool. That works. And yeah. then let's move on and never play the beginning of this game or again. Was, see, and that's the problem when you get like programmers doing their own QA. I don't know how Konami was doing their testing though. But anyways, let's get into our next track. This is from Stage 5, composed by Kinoyo Yamashita, I think. <laughs> You just heard Stage 5, composed by Kinyo Yamashita, which I feel this one is a Yamashita track. Really? Yeah. I kind of feel like it's Koji Murata. Oh. I got a little bit more of that driving beat to this. It felt a little slowed down, a little less intense, which I liked, but um, I still felt like this one felt more like the early tracks that we've played than the previous well, track. Well, I think what you might be referring to, too, is the FDS waveform. Mm-hmm. It's the same exact waveform, that you know, mm-hmm. trumpet sound. Uh, from the first track so maybe there's some comparison that that kind of makes me wonder too like is this Yamashita because I was seriously kind of considering Murata for mm-hmm. this track um, just has a different feel that the vibratos feel a little bit different than what we've seen earlier now mm-hmm. we could be wrong I mean it could be any of these tracks right but right um, I think I think you know it's still kind of left to be determined we got some more tracks to play so uh, maybe we'll make our final call at the end. Yeah, but I mean, this track was great. It had great supporting bass and percussion sounds to allow the really high chimey notes to stand out, which feels very Konami. And um, that's something that, I mean, Konami's known for really great music. So no matter who did the, the composition, this is still a really great track. Oh, totally. And I, I really like the back and forth. You know, it just, it has this like kind of, call and response to the Mm -hmm. instruments it's not too fast so it does have a little bit more of a 
lacks pace. Right. Of, you're still moving forward, yeah. but it's not like rushed feeling. Yeah, that's kind of how I had it written down was like a, it was a more of a driving beat, but like softly driving. Yeah. Which, and like that, driving in the parking lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Over speed bumps and stuff like that. But um, that call in response that you were mentioning, that, that really reminded me of that first track that we played. Okay. And that also reminds me a lot of, you know, Castlevania. A lot of their yeah, tracks yeah. feel like they kind of have mm -hmm. that kind of call and answer or like let me play a series of notes and then i'll the, another instrument will do the same series of notes so, right right um, I but i mean like i said we could be totally way off base and any <laughs> of these tracks could be anyone so yeah you know i i did ask her uh and she didn't give me a response back this morning so i was like oh okay yeah. so maybe we just weren't aren't gonna know um we'll find she, out at some point yeah eventually we'll have her on too yeah um i was you know hoping she would be on for this episode but i think she's busy or something i'm not sure yeah but i don't know maybe we'll have her on for one of those bigger episodes you know bigger games that she's done yeah and we'll see i mean there are so many epic we, we got games. a lot we got a lot to choose from yeah um the graphics in this game i i don't know it's you know it's an early konami title so you can't expect you can't expect like what we saw later mm -hmm. you know on the nes like in the 90s you know like mitsume gatoru for example had some really pretty oh yeah some graphics gorgeous and effects sprites. And this has um a very early like castlevania one right kind of feel to it with without the the awesome backgrounds yeah i mean in the way that the the main character is designed he has a very castlevania feel there's very, no like facial features very but he's thick background too mm -hmm. or uh like outline right and it's very konami in the sense that everything's very blocky mm -hmm. um i do think it is a good looking game uh especially when you take into account that it's early mm -hmm. um i think it had great colors it was very simple i think for me visually the worst part about it is the level design there's oh, a lot of horrible. things that just don't make sense or just feel like, hey, we just built out a real basic block level. And then they were like, you know what? Let's not make it more complex looking. Mm -hmm. Let's just, you know, skin it and be done. The collision detection alone is just Oh, my horrible. God. It's so bad. There's so many times where you just hit a wall. And like you can you just like glitch through it. Yeah, yeah. And you can like take a few steps. And sometimes um, you can move around a little bit inside the walls and then die. And sometimes you just jump and hit the wall and you just die instantly. And it's like, what is going on? Is, yeah. So that's just horrible about yeah. this game. But I think that it's something that maybe could be uh, used to someone's advantage if they wanted to look into this game for speed running or just learning how to beat the game really quickly mm -hmm. uh, because th there's obviously a lot of broken uh, broken features to this game yeah now, going back to the graphics though um that first boss isn't that the most ridiculous yeah <laughs> it's pretty bad i yeah. think the first boss is pretty ugly it's like, like a sea monster type thing it's but like, it's like straight up just like a neck it looks like a <laughs> giraffe like, like sea just, monster yeah like just straight up neck yeah it's like a yeah like a giant sea monster giraffe like just sticks his head out of the water and that's like you're on like a raft you can control it's yeah, it really doesn't make a lot of sense two colors it just doesn't have a lot of flavor to it yeah um you know we're kind of you know dismissing the game uh, there's a lot of shortcomings but there are some good qualities oh and yeah you can't like just say a, you know it has all these bad things we're just giving our honest opinions but uh there are some things that make the game fun and i and i really think you guys should give it a shot oh yeah i mean this is a game that i want to spend a little more time with um and you will notice some some uh things that feel familiar uh, konami definitely reused some sprites in this game too oh yeah so. like those bats those yeah straight castlevania yeah bats. they even have like the castlevania the original castlevania like color scheme to them and everything yep. so it's just it feels a little out of place but um i I think the game overall looks good. It plays okay. And I think that uh, it could be fun to really get the hang of it. Mm -hmm. You know, one more thing uh, I want to bring up is the little HUD. 
Um, all the weapon weapons, since like you were saying earlier, you can kind of increase the quantity mm-hmm. that you get. It has like the number by them. So if you have like 30 knives or whatever and like 40 bombs, however many you got, yeah. you can cycle between those. And it kind of lets you know of like what you need to right. get through certain areas. Which is nice to see them all there all together instead of having to go into some type of menu and then say, okay, I want to use a bomb here. Oh, I don't have any bombs. I just realized uh, it's nice to see them all together in just a nice black bar at the bottom that's right. very simple. They didn't, you know, embellish it with like a, a character portrait or any type of border or anything like that, which mm-hmm. it, it's nice. I, I think the game overall is simple and clean, but it could have gone a little further. Yeah. You know, I, I want to bring up the, the stream that I was doing again because mm-hmm. this spike ball thing you mm-hmm. can actually use to like take out wall chunks and you have to use it later on in like level three. Right. But there's no indication you know, like in Zelda, when there's a place yeah. to bomb, it's kind of obvious. Uh, yeah. This, it's like, I threw these things everywhere. And like, I you have to hit like the exact pixel right. for it to like actually, it's you know. It's very early Metroid. Like they don't show you where to do or that you can do it. There's no like yep. variation in the, the wall pixels, no color discoloration. Like which, it's which just is, like, you just throw bombs everywhere and figure out like, oh, cool, I can do this here. Which is fine, except that the mechanics around it are so frustrating that yeah. it, it adds like, like not knowing what to do and having like, kind of poor controls yeah makes it like i was almost rage quit status at that point but um well and being able to push being able to push through walls i might like think that it was valid to just think i could just walk through the wall to get to that wall chicken (laughs) (laughs) Uh, anyways the uh the graphics and the gameplay you know we've we've said our thoughts but the music's incredible let's get into our next track uh we have two but we'll take a break between them this is the boss theme or the second boss theme that plays in the game second boss theme from Aromana no Kaseki for the Famicom Disk System. This is a, a pretty nice track. I like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Famicom Disk System attachments doing that, that cello. It's mm-hmm. nice and like, I like it. Yeah, it's yeah, cool. uh, this track is, is interesting. It's very heavy in the beginning and then it gets real dark and then it gets real eerie, kind of spooky, which felt more like a level track than like a boss track. So it, I felt like it took a very different approach to fighting a boss. Yeah, that woo yeah, you know what it reminded me of? Um, you know, like uh, in those, uh, maybe like I don't, I don't know what kind of style, maybe like Dixie or something, where you have the um, the saw, the saw yeah. blade without the serrated edge, and you're just kind of wibbling, yeah. wobbling it back and forth, and it's kind of going. Yeah, yeah, it gives it that real eerie kind of whiny pitch. To yeah, it. and it's it, what they're doing is just like this really nice, you know, kind of bell curve sine wave, and then they're doing vibrato on it, so mm-hmm. it kind of adds that that effect. But um, no, I thought the track was really cool. Now. Maybe this is the Miranda track. I was thinking that too. Yeah, that, I think that's why I didn't it. come in with a composer name. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> but th- this track actually gave me a little bit of like a, uh, a Zelda dungeon feel, like how it's very eerie and creepy. As a kid, right. those dungeons always like kind of 
made me feel uneasy uncomfortable uh, and this track kind of did that too with its eerie you know saw sound <laughs> yeah well let's let's get into our last track uh again short soundtrack yeah we only got this one left it's and it's short as well this is the ending track composed by kino yamashita or possibly koji murata that was the ending track for Arumana no Kiseki on the Famicom disc system. I, I'm like up in the air. I don't know who composed this one. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a hard one. It's too short to really tell, I think. Yeah, and it's yeah. so different because it's very much an ending track. It's very short. Um, it's probably the song I'm least excited about for the, the soundtrack, too. even compared to boss music. But um, I could see getting to this point being, you know, it'd be like, oh, great, like a change of pace with the music. And it feels great. Yeah. Um, I know some games specifically the the ending track like just makes it so worth it like Mitsumi Gotoru like yeah. the ending track to that game was like it, one of my favorite tracks oh yeah it, but this feels like it was like okay well you beat the game uh, right. here's a track real quick and then we're just gonna dump you back to the title screen yeah we'll give you some you know some little quick cutscene that's basically <laughs> the reverse of the opening cutscene of people turning you know back turning, to people yeah they're <laughs> turning back from stone um I don't know which is worse. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So today we covered Arumana no Kiseki on the Famicom Disk System, composed by Kinuyo Yamashita and Koji Murata. An epic soundtrack. Amazing Very soundtrack cool. with a game that I think, you know, we might have talked a little harshly about it, but I think it's something some people would really actually get into. And to be fair, I enjoyed playing it. Like, mm-hmm. I sometimes I like being frustrated. I like. You know, it reminds me of games when I was a kid, you know, like being mm-hmm. like wanting to pull my hair out and in certain certain, you know, a certain level of that anyway. Yeah. And so uh, I did enjoy there was parts of it. I think once you get past a few hurdles, you learn the controls a little bit better. Uh, it becomes more of an enjoyable game. Yeah. So that grappling hook could be super cool. So I might want to check it out a little more myself. Yeah. Anyways, if you want to know more about the show, you can find us online at pixelatedaudio.com for our show notes and our track list. We can also be found on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Twitch at Pixelated Audio. Yes, and uh, I did a stream of this not too long ago, but uh, we've been streaming more and more, and we're Mm going to get kind of more into that as well. So check out the Twitch stream and see if you you guys want to have us play a certain game. We'll definitely give it a shot. So. Yeah, we're always open to suggestions, and it was cool to see some, you know, some of our followers pop in and say hi, and even, you know, in the case of this game, help with uh, figuring out how to <laughs> get past a certain part. <laughs> yeah. If you like the show, we invite you to leave us a review on iTunes. That always means a lot to us. Um, we did start a Patreon last month, which is going really well. Yeah. I'm very excited to see um, all the support that we're getting from you guys so far. I uh, want to give shout outs to our latest patrons uh there's jimmy selling Eno keskitalo and norm and, and norm is funny um his name on his name on patreon is clearance sticker right and so i i, I messaged him i was like hey you know we want to give you a shout out on the show uh do you want me to call you clearance sticker and he's like oh god no <laughs> norm's fine uh so thank you guys very much you're directly supporting the show and it means a lot to us to uh, see that we we have people that are uh, passionate about bringing this kind of content out as well. Right. It's going much better than we could have ever expected. So we're very humbled and overwhelmed by the support. So thank you guys very much. Yeah. And if you want to become a patron, 
uh, head over to our website, pixelatedaudio.com. We have a button on there that will take you right to the page. Or you can go to patreon.com slash pixelated audio. It's there as well. Yeah. If you're new to the show, you can check out some of our past episodes like Mitsume Gatoru, where we got to sit down with legendary Natsume composer Hiroyuki Iwatsuki, that which was, was an amazing that was treat. Fun. Mm-hmm. There's also some fun expansion packs that we did recently. And we can't forget OutZone, where we got to sit down with Tatsuya Uemura and talk about his work on that game. Yeah. That guy was a riot, dude. Yeah. So cool. Uh, anyway, so um, I do want to say congratulations. Oh. <laughs> yeah, for you. Yeah. Uh, so last episode, we were talking about you doing your, your speed run for Tailgater, or yeah. you were just kind of getting into it. I was kind of contemplating it. And then you kind of got serious about it and yeah. ended up taking the world record just the other day. Yeah, not too long ago. I, I lowered the world record by almost two minutes. Uh, I plan to try to lower it a little bit further before nice. I move on to something else. Nice. And uh, I'm running Motto King Grandsword. Yeah, which anybody that's been listening to the show for a while would know that that's an episode that we did. Well, it has incredible music. Yeah. And so like when we were playing it, I remember us talking about, I was thinking like, man, I want to run this mm-hmm. one day. And so now, you know, I don't get to spend a lot of time. The game has a very high difficulty. So um, I, you know, just kind of chipping away at it. But you can watch me. I'm streaming every now and then. Yeah. And um, I'm getting pretty fast at it. It's yeah. like under 13 minutes, I think. It's, like that. it's a pretty impressive run. I, would, I was just going to say like uh, you started streaming it now. So if anyone that hasn't checked out the... Uh, <laughs> Twitch, it would be, you know, something fun. Yeah. Anyway, so the track taking us out, and this is kind of neat. Um, <laughs> this is a remix of that first track that we heard. This was arranged by Shimo Ine, and it's a track that is using, it's kind of like a rearrangement using Konami's VRC6 expansion chip for the Famicom, mm-hmm. which adds two pulse wave channels and sawtooth channel. Sounds totally different. Uh, it's really neat. I think it was made in Famitracker. And uh, it, it's just really cool to hear it mm-hmm. like this with you know VRC6. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you back in a few weeks for the next episode.